Hello Australia. It's episode 8 of the Layback Podcast. I'm Jackson Allen and this is a podcast about Australian climbers and their stories. Actually, in this episode, I sit down with Andy Pollitt, originally from Wales, who emigrated to Australia in the early 90s after he came down here for a few long stints at Arapiles. As usual, this podcast was filmed and you can find it on YouTube. Uh, links are available on thelayback.com. Andy Pollitt grew up in North Wales and was kind of the rock star of British climbing in the 80s. Andy's climbing epitomized that really bold British style that you may have heard of. It would be impossible for me to cover all of Andy's exploits in just one podcast and we focus on a few in-depth stories of him soloing the Great Wall and another experience that he had, quite a tense one, of climbing the Bells the Bells where, uh, as he describes it, his skin emitted the pungent smell of death. I wanted to understand what it was like for a foreign climber coming to Australia back in the 80s and kind of what the climbing scene here felt like. Andy really drops us into it with his first experiences in Natamuk, drinking uh, with the locals in the pub, uh, getting shut down on Arapiles routes and heading out to check out Taipan Wall for the first time with Malcolm Matheson. Andy ended up putting a few first ascents up on Taipan Wall, some of you may have heard of, such as Rage, which is an alternate finish to Serpentine, and another little spicy number by the name of World Party. Andy gives us a bit of insight as to maybe why the bolts on that route feel so spaced apart. Finally, we get into Punks in the Gym that iconic Australian route that Andy put about 44 days of effort into in his pursuit for the first true red point ascent. Andy details his battles with the route and why he restored the hold, which is now possibly the most famous, most notorious hold in Australian climbing, the bird bath. Immediately after sending the route, Andy gave away his climbing gear and left climbing behind for good. These days, Andy lives not far from me in Melbourne and he's built out a career in rope access work. We caught up a few weeks ago on a Saturday morning, uh, so you'll hear a little bit of background noise where his neighbour unfortunately decides to get stuck into some weekend work with power tools. We pick up where Andy has hit the road with Jerry Moffat. For those of you who don't know, Jerry Moffat was a dominating force in climbing in the 80s and early 90s. When they both finished school, they hit the road for a crag called Tremadoc and dosed, or as we might call it, dirtbagged in a barn, living on 50p a day and climbing as much as possible. Let's get into it. Just after you guys finished high school, right? You went to yeah. Tremadoc. Tremadoc. Traumatic. Yeah. Traumatic. Yeah, we, we had um, six weeks down there living in the filth. You were living in that barn. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? Well, it, it had been derelict for many years and it, it was... Uh, there were loads of slate tiles missing so you had to pitch your carry mat in in the old hay 
uh, which had piles of donkey and cow poo in it. So you, we did a bit of a clear up, <laughs> and we found these spots where we were sort of in between drips. Mm. And it turned out Jerry and I were about six inches apart because everything around was getting drip, 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 drip. And the rats, rats the size of cats, scurrying around. There was one guy, Jerry recounts it in his book, Revelations, of a guy that lost so much food that he slept with his block of cheese in his sleeping bag. And he woke up in the morning as a <laughs> massive pair of teeth snoring on his cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like I understand your diet was pretty Spartan Like you were eating like Just curry sauce and rice essentially Yeah curry sauce It staggers me Jackson to be honest How how we found And got the energy To do what we did I mean I suppose you know You're just turning 17 um, You got the life ahead of you No more school and um, 50 pence a day. That was our budget. I didn't find out till Jerry's revelations came out that he was giving himself 70 pence. <laughs> I mean, Jerry came from a wealthy background. I didn't. Mm. But um, unless his memory's a bit clouded, he states 70p. It was definitely 50p. <laughs> I know it was fifty pence. You guys are pretty, um, pretty, pretty motivated, given that you were willing yeah. to live in those kind of conditions and climb. It obviously meant a lot to you to be able to go climbing like it, that. In a way, Jackson, it, it was quite luxurious. I mean, we we'd previously slept in the women's toilet block down at the Avon Gorge in Bristol. Mm. We slept in the women's because they had hand dryers. So you just, you're lying down, you reach up, point, hit the button. Warm up. Nice big blast of warm air. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. We slept in the old concrete lookout on the Great Orm. Stone cold floor, wind, excuse me, howling, rain pelting down, bus shelters, hedges. Wherever. Yeah. Just to go climbing. You know, if it fell dark and you stood on the side of a road hitching and no one's picking you up, well, you'd hop over the fence. So I remember sleeping once with some cows up near Malham. Don't know what they thought about me, but they're friendly enough. Let's let's get back to the beginning. How did how did you discover climbing? Like, where did this passion start that would lead to you being, you know, on the road and and living in those kind of circumstances just to go climbing? Where where did it all begin? Our school, Pristatin High School, had an indoor climbing wall, very rudimentary, mm. just brick wall with some concrete blocks and some bricks sticking out, some pushed in. Mm. And one day we were warming up in the sporting hall to go outside in the snow and the sleet to play rugby. And there was a new teacher who'd arrived and he was traversing back across this wall. I didn't know it was called traversing. He was just climbing left, right, left, right. You know, about two inches off the floor. I'm thinking, why didn't he go up there? 
And I asked my sports master if I could go and try that. And he asked him, the other teacher, the other teacher said to my sports teacher, yeah, send him along. So I got to play on the wall while the others went outside and played rugby. <laughs> and click, boink. It was on. I was absolutely just... It's... I don't think I've had a... A metaphorical slap in the face as powerful. I just thought, this feels right. Yeah. And heck, I can do it. Mm. And I could do it virtually as well as the teacher, mm. which was remarkable. Mm. I mean, again, I, I'm not, you know, this is no big-headedness. I found out I could do it. Yeah. I had the reach. I had the, the lightness of fray. Mm. Again, through years of climbing trees and scrambling up rocks, I had good balance. I could figure moves out before I did them. It, wasn't, it was none of this slapping and hoping. It was like worked out, but sped up. So, you know, it was like 45 seconds from one end of the wall to the other. And... The teacher was taking like fifty-four seconds. Yeah. And go, uh, uh, and I go, Whoosh. yeah. And after a few months of doing that, which I was allowed to do because our PE phys ed classes matched with his free lesson, mm. so I got to go and play on the climbing wall, mm. and then that developed into actually going out to the real rock yeah and seconding v diffs and severes and and you progressed you know fairly quickly right like yeah I mean, jerry and i both did yeah until the point where you're kind of like i guess at the leading edge of of uk climbing what, what do you put that rapid progress down to i think the desire to improve i mean being genetically lucky or fortunate mm. in having a slight build mm. good reach just eating dreaming sleeping climbing mm. um yeah we jerry and myself in parallel mm. i was actually ahead of him by about three grades um not many people have given jerry moffat tight rope on a grade 19 <laughs> 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 or held his first fall on a 20 <laughs> but um, we just tried hard yeah we just tried if we fall off we'll try again yeah and just kept trying and trying and trying and trying training for us was a few press ups yeah okay which is is it anathema? You know, you're doing something that's the opposite mm. of pulling, mm. thinking, I'm get, I'm going to get really strong at pulling, strong, yeah, and all yeah. you're doing is pushing. So you end up with these muscles here yep. and nothing to pull on. Yeah. <laughs> you think maybe it was because you were so focused on climbing and you were doing it so often and you like kind of dedicated almost your entire life to it. We did. That, that you were... We did. So quickly. Once we left school, you know, it's like anything. 
the best practice for climbing is climbing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there weren't indoor walls. And, I mean, I've just contradicted myself because we had a vertical brick wall with, yeah. you know, second joint holes. Yeah. That's not climbing wall, really. No. Not in the language we use now. Yeah. Um. We, we, we just climb from dawn till dusk. Have a cup of tea. Eric Jones, the legendary Eric Jones, dear, dear man, mm. you know, he, he'd give us a free cup of tea. And, you know, towards the end of the day, if there was a couple of buns left over, he'd go, here you go, boys. Take these. Get some food in. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, so looking back, what's um what's a, one of the early climbs I guess that stands out to you in your memory that you that you did? I would possibly suggest a climb on the Little Orm. Yeah, okay. Called Midnight Blues. Midnight Blues. Yeah, it's on um the right-hand side of the Diamond Buttress. Mm. And the Diamond is one of the most remarkable bits of rock in the UK. It is stunning the right hand side's a bit scrappy and i had sailed in there with a a dear dear friend of mine called peter bailey mm. this was in december my goodness me it was cold. it's cold and it's in the shade yeah it was freezing and we wrapped in And the route had five aid points on it. Yeah. And here I am, 17, 16, in fact, probably. Fluffy Mo, Union Jack hat, Helly Hansons, still shivering. Mm. Set up this thing, throwing birds' nests off and scraping guano. Mm. And, and got it eliminated, the four aid points. But I did use a bit of tension on the traverse. Okay. And then... Bought Pete up, and the top pitch was just minging. It was just slime and wet, so we prosicked out with little knots. Yep. But we <laughs> not Jumars like like oh, prosicking out with, oh, with friction no. knots. Yeah. No, but, I mean we were, we were savvy enough to take five mil cord prosic yep. loops. Yeah, of course. Oh, what's an epic? You know, we abbed in off some bent piton that Roland Edwards had put in 20 years earlier and a sideways bloody chock I think we only had camp or chouinard chocks this is way before rocks and then jogged back up the rope one after the other one of these little knots that <laughs> yeah so that that was memorable. It was memorable because of the the like, oh, the sort of epic nature of it. Yeah, you know you're abseiling into the unknown. Yeah, you couldn't couldn't walk around there because of the tide. You couldn't mm. walk out. Yeah. Once you go in, there's only one way out. You're committed. Well, yes and no. We were committed in so much that the route was off to one side of the ab rope. And that took a lot of dragging across, and you can't shout down, hey, mate, swing us the ab rubber. There's no one down, there's just a bunch of seals watching you. <laughs> yeah, true. 
I mean, that kind of bold climbing, I guess, um, and that that putting yourself out there is something that I guess you're probably fairly well known for. One that stands out to me is is that's early on is soloing the Great Wall. Can you tell us about that? Great Wall is this beautiful sweep of white rock, and between it and around the corners is a fairly steep erect, which is taken by a route a route called Quick Step. And to the left, there's some roof problems. But the, the very bottom of Quick Steps really undercut. And it was just a, you know, it was a boulder problem to start to something that went up easy and stepped onto these holes. Mm. And um, I think JR, John Redhead, uh, got it first. And then Tim Freeman then Jerry, and I, I'd, I'd never been able to do it. And one day I was just there with, my friends were doing a route round the corner. So I went and I tried it a few times, I couldn't do it. And then I managed to do it. And the way down, you either go left and reverse this horribly polished hard VF, or you go round the erect, and you traverse diagonally downwards across the base of Great Wall mm. and step off. Well, I started traversing across and I, literally before I knew it, I was about 45 feet up Great Wall. Like, I, I, what, what am I doing here? And then this other lad, Keith Simpson, strolls round underneath what the? Can you wait? I'll run around and get my camera. So the the photographs that I've got, I've got about four prints. Not the best quality, but they are actually of that in live action. And I you know, I've done the route six or eight times, twice without falls at the top. So... What on earth am I doing? Are you not roped up? No. No, I was totally soldering. Yeah. And it, it's not its not an easy, easy route. No, probably about 24, 25 by Australian grade standards here, E4. Yeah, it yeah. would be in the order of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it, but it was only 18 months previously that mm. my going, Tim Freeman and myself could not top rope it mm. just we just kept falling off mm. so you know fast forward 18 months which is not a long time really no no i'm up there ne no i don't think anyone had ever even contemplated it um you kind of accidentally got yourself into it yeah i, I just turned 18 and here i am Keith Simpson took for flipping ever before he appeared in the bushes up at the top and said, all right, uh, uh, yep, I'm ready, I've got you focused. Are you ready to go? I'm thinking, FFS. You know, you've totally broken the flow, the style. Mm -hmm. Now I have to climb my way out of this. And wasn't so much scary 
but with the not the physical crux, but the most on-off move mm. is right at the top. It's a a layaway barn door thing. So it's insecure. Totally. Mm. I mean, there's one point where you're only on with your left hand and your right foot. Yeah. Because you're doing this barn door swing to catch this thing. Now, if you don't get that... You're off. You're off. And that, that's where I'd fallen off repeatedly on lead. So the mental and physical crux is ahead of you? Yeah, all the way. And I'm getting nearer and nearer to it. Keith didn't have a rope or anything to drop down. I could have stayed there and, you know, for an hour until mm. someone came and get, got me. But I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And that was the worst execution of that move I'd ever done bar when I fell off. I barely hit the hold, really had to adjust, get my foot back on, bring the left hand across, crank like whatever mm. for a sinker and through to the top. It's like, oh, my goodness me. You know, I was literally millimetres from missing it. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a move I'd tried dozens of times yeah. when I used to work out on it for top ropes and after I'd let it. I was, I was still falling off on a top rope. So to be up there and you're 85 foot up with no ropes... How did that affect you afterwards? Like, you obviously, you pulled it off because you're here to have this conversation with me. Did I survive? <laughs> <laughs> you survived that one. How did that change? How did that, that climb impact you, do you think? I wanted to do, to do more of it. Like the adrenaline. After, not so much during, afterwards. Was just... I would imagine it's about as powerful as any synthetic drugs. I don't do synthetic drugs, but people have said, you know, oh man, I was just flying high. Yeah. Well, I was, and this is on natural mm. uh, chemicals. Let's let's go to probably maybe a, one of the next, or like a, a, a bit forward, and that's the yeah. bells. The bells. Ooh. That's a story I want to hear because I know that, that it uh, had a big impact on you and you write about it fairly uh, uh, at length in your book. Massive impact. It was the first legitimate E7 in Britain. I think, could be wrong, Ron might have given Hell's Wall in the Lakes E7. But that was very quickly dismissed. Um, or maybe he gave it 7A and it was dismissed, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Bells, JR graded at E7. Mm. And he'd abbed it, he'd given it a brush, he'd mm. had a look, he'd found, you know, it was little slot to whack in a a peg that was more out than in. 
And um, but it took a very meandering line. And and that rock, it's probably eighty-five degrees. Leaning back, pretty white crystalline, but it has a a sea grass all over it. Yeah, it's very fuzzy. Yep, and it's very arid and dry, and you have the sort of wipe things. Yeah. Okay. So I'm led to believe because I wasn't there, but um, he was there with. It might have been Chris Shorter or somebody holding his ropes, I, I don't remember. But Gretel, John's partner, wife, whatever you want to call it, was sat on the top looking across. No idea that he was absolutely out there. He, he, he totally underestimated it mm-hmm. with a cursory look and a little wire brush here and a peg there. And amazing climber on that kind of territory. Mm. There, there was nobody better. Mm. You know, people talk about Johnny Dawes on grit. Well, JR on in that territory. Mm. Um, amazing. So, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> it had, um, from memory, four top rope repeats. Okay. Three of those people at Top Robed It fell off. And I knew all three of them. They were darn good climbers from the Peak District, climbing E5 on limestone. Three out of the four of them fell off the bells. Not through something snapping, because it is hard. There's a section that's hard. And nobody was game. And then one evening in, in the Padan Lake Hotel in Berries. Now, who was it? It was, I think, no, it, it might have been Paul Pritch, Pritchard, little Johnny Dawes, Nick Dixon. It was two of those three, I think, had lowered in and top roped it mm. successfully. And I heard murmurs of, you know, who's going to go for it? Because, you know, it's a coveted second ascent. Mm-hmm. And it had always been on my radar, but I'd been off with a shoulder yeah, injury okay. for 16 months. Mm. And um, I thought, no, when I got better, I got fit by doing a climb called Chimes of Freedom at Ravens or freeing an old aid route, 13 days. That lasted, I think, 42 minutes till it got repeated. Because <laughs> <laughs> my mates like Basher and Leachy yeah, were working it with me yeah. and just holding off the red point. Yeah, okay. You know, which was good of them. Yeah. Anyway, blah, 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 so I got fit. And I hitchhiked down to Wales. I got a lift off a chap called Chris Craggs. And I'd arranged a lift back to Sheffield with him. Mm. And he told me in an email a couple of years, or a few years ago now, 20 years after, that when when he heard what I'd done in the day and then gotten back to where he was picking me up, 
I said, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be taking him home. <laughs> and it was... I've never been so pressed in my life as on that. I mean, the gear was rubbish. Yeah. And the crux sequence is sort of two moves towards the peg and a move and a half past you it. can still see it in your mind now oh yeah i can i can replicate it and, and it starts off this sort of reasonable standing position mm. and there's a flake up to the right and it was moving and i distinctly to this day remember asking the flake to stay put. I actually spoke. I said, look, please, just stay put. I, I'll, I'll Trying to push it in as well as rip it off. N not rip it off, but yeah, pull it, and it was going... <clears throat> and I could see there was some little thing up there that I had no idea what it was. You just see a little ripple. And I put all my trust in that, and I bloody got it down to about here, and and that wasn't too bad. And thought, well, thanks. <laughs> I got something else. Did the next move. As I'm doing that move, the peg that sticks out about three inches, it went scratched across my tummy. Yeah. And I I then reached down and. Choked it with a little four mil, mm. clipped the beam in, pulled the rope up. What people do now is ab down first, check it all out, leave a tape sling hanging on it, mm. and claim an on site. Okay. Good on them. I'm not expecting or hoping or wishing anyone to die. Yeah. But this, I mean, I don't think it's had an ascent without. Without the pre-wrapping and yeah yeah because from the hold it is humanly not possible to to clip to sling the, to peg, sling the peg or even to clip the eye yeah. you'd be stupid if you did that you've got to move past it well i mean people are so much stronger now maybe they might be able to yeah. just go crimp but and then do it halfway through but I was using the strength I had, yeah. which was, you know, pretty good pick district yeah. fingers. Um, so I got through that, reached back down, clipped it, and then went up, and that, that's when it got really desperate because I, I blew two fingertips. Then you took the skin off the pads. <laughs> Sliced them on this really sharp edge. And they were just pumping blood. Now, I'm way above the pad, probably 18, 20 feet above the peg. Above the peg. Yeah. And it's not a great peg. No. Rubbish. Yeah. Apparently it has been fallen onto, which surprises me. But um, but you didn't know that it was going to hold a fall. You weren't that no. confident. I didn't think it would hold your jacket if you hung it up on it, to be honest. <laughs> So, and you're 20 so, foot above that peg now? About 18 feet above. Okay. And these two fingers just go... Boom. 
And because I'm pumped, it, the blood is, it's pumping out. You yeah. see it going, buh, 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 buh. Reverse the yeah. female moving away. <laughs> chalk, dab, chalk, chalk, dab it on my tights. Chalk, chalk, chalk. Uh, Mark, I've done my tips. Watch this. I'm going to have to jump off. <laughs> but I managed to cake enough chalk on and sort of get through and got to the top. Yeah. It was, it was harrowing. There was nobody else around. There was nothing poor Mark Leach could mm. do. Mm. You know? And there's a bit of irony in that Bernard Newman and Jan, his wife, Bernard, the mountain editor and brilliant photographer, came strolling down the bluff to see what we're up to just as I was pulling over you know 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes before he could have got some historic shots yeah. you know I mean my right leg would probably have been blurred with the Elvis yeah the Elvis <laughs> legs shaking out there <laughs> <Yeah>. like crazy <laughs> can you keep your legs straight <laughs> no you, you do mention that, that a distinct feeling on that route like an acrid smell of death the this kind of is, is that the most out was, there that you think you've ever been i sensed a warm clamminess uh, about my skin and little beads of sweat hmm. on my forehead and there was this acrid scent and it was coming hmm. out of my pores um and I describe it in the book, but I, I'm not over-dramatising it or mm. hamming it up. That is literally, mm. you know, I am potentially minutes from going 80 feet mm. onto the boulders. Mm. And I started getting clammy. Mm. And what's that smell? Oh, it's me. And I, I, I just equated that with... Um, fear yeah and the body just go oh, where are we what are we doing what are we doing yeah i i say i likened it to death is coming because mm. i never smelt like that before mm. you know I, i've taken 60 foot falls 90 foot falls yeah but i've known you're just going like this through yeah. space and there's a bolt or a bomber nut yeah. there no nah. yeah totally different and it was my body yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was a major turning point. Yeah. It's, I won't say it's the scaredest I've ever been. Or would I? Yeah, I probably would. I'd probably yeah. say it's the scaredest I've ever been. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not easily scared. I love the thrill of a good run out. Yeah. Even facing a whipper. Or, a, you know, you might survive, you might not. On that, I had the option to back off. Mm. I could have backed off. I could have reversed from just below the peg all the way back to the ground. Mm. I thought, no. You know, that charged. And... It was hard. Mm. 
it was a hard route. Mm. On site, um, unrepeated, you know, bar a few top ropes. Yeah. And doubtless some of the people that top roped it would have pulled off a little flake here, a little flake yeah. there, which is probably fortunate they did rather than Cleaned I came up, across yeah. them. But um, you're just windscreen wipering. You know, trying trying to find and getting shit in your eyes and in your mouth. Bold climbing something, obviously, is a big part of your climbing. And, you know, in the kind of mid-80s towards the late 80s, red pointing and this kind of French style was really coming out. Um, And I know Jerry was spending time over there and bringing that to the UK. How did you feel about all that, given the, the... the approach that you were taking with the bowl climb. I was dead set against it. Yeah. Now, to put it in time and place Mm. and context, 84 Hunter House Road, it was myself, Mm. Jerry, Chris Gore, Martin, Basher, Atkinson. Those three embraced it Mm. and went on to great things. And just were doing things that I couldn't do because I wouldn't adopt that style. I was still yo-yoing on limestone Mm -hmm. and I was doing bold stuff. They would not come anywhere near an Eki route. Chris Gore did once. He did third ascent of zero on Suicide Wall. In fact, I think Jerry did too. Yeah, Jerry and then Chris did. Bar for that, um, no, they were just going down the dales. Bolt mm. to bolt, bolt to bolt, bolt to bolt, red point. They come back. Two E7s today, and what did you do? Oh. I did an E6 on Gogart yesterday. Bah! Well, why do you think... <laughs> That you didn't go with the flow of what they were doing. You know, given that you're in the same house as them and it's kind of like a group of people that you're really close friends with, most people just kind of go with the flow. Why not? Why didn't you? I rallied against it. Yeah. Um, Totally. My ethic was always ground up, do your best, give it your best shot Mm. on site. And I'm not saying they didn't, Mm. but the minute they fell off, be it at the first bolt or the penultimate, Mm. well, they'd they'd just work it, Mm. pull the rope down. But I I, I couldn't... I I thought that was bringing something down to an inevitable end. I remember doing runs through Tequila Mockingbird on Cheedel, as oh, in the dream. Tequila like Mockingbird. Like yeah, that. play on words. Yeah, nice course. one, Ron. And um, Ron had obviously put his bolt in and two pegs. Or was it a bolt? No, two pegs, I think. And was intimately aware of, you know, pockets that you can't see from two foot below and... And he did it over a couple of days, I think. In all fairness to him, it was would have been one of the hardest routes in the country. Yeah. And it was hard and it had some long run outs. Mm. 
and um, yeah, I did a very early ascent of that, about third or fourth, maybe fifth, sixth. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mark Pretty Zippy, I think it was, put five bolts in it. <laughs> it was either that or Simon Nadin's route to the side. Retro. Retro bolted it. Bolted it. Yeah. And there were just cues. There were just people going, you know, bolt to bolt, bolt to bolt, bolt to bolt. Red point. You know, loving the quality and the movement and everything. And I'd be stood there going, nah. And I stuck to my guns and and was just falling further and further behind mm. as the guys got better through this technique and super hard routes that we used to work mm. to death mm. and yo-yo were, were just falling like ten pins. Australia. At yep. some point, you decide to to come down here. Your 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 friends in in the UK. They're going to Europe. Uh, they're America. going to the US. Yeah. Right. And and you come to Australia. Why Australia? Well, do we thank or do we blame Glenn Robbins for that? I don't know. It's half half. Um. Glenn was at our house. We'd moved from 84, that disbanded. So I was living with a chap called Nick Plishko, very, very underrated and accomplished climber. Mm. And our mate Yorick. And uh, Glenn was round to say goodbye before he flew back. Mm. He said, why don't you come down? Well, you know, I'd seen pictures of Rapalese. Arab Isles, and, you know, a couple of pictures of the Grampians. I'd seen Serpentine with Jeff Wiegand making the second ascent. Then adverts of HB climbing yeah. on double ropes. Yep. Double ropes on Daniel Law Tiger. Yeah, so, um, you know, my ears pricked up when Glenn said that. I... If memory serves me right, it was very early on in the new year. So it was peeing down, it was freezing mm. cold, but it was going to be boiling hot down in Australia. Oh, so I bought a ticket, yeah. got my visa, and flew down, and Glenn and... Nick White from Devon, who I'd never met. He was a protagonist of New Roots down in uh, Devon. Picked us up at the airport and we got a lift to Natty. I was really, really looking forward to meeting this beast of a man. HB. He, yeah, who I'd read about for years in the mags. Yeah. Seen photos of. And he's just, you know, this... Ugh. And then we hear this, the roar of this car. And Lou says, do you know what that is? I said, Whatever it is, it's bloody loud. That's H. <laughs> <laughs> and he's souped up Tirana with his turbocharged engine. 
And he comes walking round the corner with his songs and... He's about seven inches shorter than me. We hit it off from the split second we met. It was a, a really, really beautiful moment. You know, I held him in regard. He held me in regard. And throughout that and the next two trips, we climbed virtually solely together. There was always this super competitive undercurrent. Between you and HB? Yeah. Yeah. But super, super friendly. Yeah. And he said to me that first meeting, he said, go and do a few routes, acclimatise, and then on Thursday or Wednesday, whatever it was, two days later, I'll take you out to the Grampians. I'll point you at two of my latest routes. They're both 26. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm in for... I, I failed on a 20 the first day. Yeah. Took two falls on a 21 the next day. And I had tightrope on a 22 the third day. I, I just I didn't get it. This is up in Central Gully with Louise and Glenn. I did, I, I did, I, this isn't climbing. This is like somehow getting from there to there using holes on the rock, but I didn't get it. The rock was different to like it. what you'd experienced before? Or? I just couldn't do yeah. it. I got pumped out of my brain five feet up. And I'm thinking, hang on. I've climbed up to E9 at home and I'm falling off E a half down here. Yeah. What With a bolt in front of my face. What? No, I don't. I've never quite understood what it was. Um, they weren't sandbagging me. They weren't 24s and 25s that they said, oh, that's 20 and that's 21. They're in the guidebook of that. No. So anyway, after two or three days, um, I think the first route I did there was uh, Masada, which is given 30. And I smashed that um, second go, second day. So the struggle was short-lived, I mean. Oh, very short-lived. <laughs> I think I was just jet-lagged and yeah. probably still pissed, Yeah, to be honest. Um. And I shouldn't have been climbing with a cigarette in my mouth anyway, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> so, yeah, I did Masada. Yeah. And then um, I did a first ascent called Natty Dread on Castle Crag. Yeah, that's near Progol Harum, yeah? Yeah, just to the right. It goes yeah. through this break in the roof. That was hard. That was hard, actually. And I then went and did it again for... Um, TV, because Keith Lockwood, Noddy, yep. who was the editor of the Wimmera Mail Times, he had me on the front cover mm. of the local paper that came out the day before I arrived. Famous climber to visit 
which I thought was sweet and charming. And it got even better. First ever night, National Hotel Natty. Hmm. I walked in. Pink lycra tights. I can imagine that went down interestingly. Yellow vest. Three great big shearers lent on the bar with their pots. It was like the scene from American Werewolf, you know, where they walk in and the piano stops and everyone turns around. And these guys look round at me and look me up and down. Goat, are you, mate? Goat. One of them mountain goats. I said, oh, I could be. And I'd, I'd previously met Trevor and Robin Smallacombe owners now these three shearers they proceeded to rip into me like you would not believe in a really sort of in a funny way they were just ripping shreds out of me and um so I, I shouted them all a beer. I said, do you want, guys want a beer? Shit, yeah, mate. And I drank them under the table. Three big, hard-working shearers. I had them to the point they could not drink anymore. Mm. And I was going, Trev, another one, please. Just, and... We all loved each other at the end of the night. They were, you're good. In for a pom and a go. You're all right. <laughs> it was lovely. You managed to win them over. Oh, totally. But we were talking climbing, weren't we? But, I mean, that's, I guess, an element of, of climbing that uh, you wouldn't see very often these days. You're not seeing people who are climbing at the limit, who are going and, and um, uh, knocking back pints at the pub the night before, smoking cigarettes and, uh, and climbing. How, wh- no. Why do you think you're able to maintain that, that, that lifestyle where you could do that and you could climb at such an elite level at the same time? I could only put it down to genetics and um, desire to perform, I suppose. I I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I guess I'm blessed and very fortunate. I mean, I will end up today, I'll probably have close to 30 bottles of beer Mm. and I'll be up tomorrow morning bright as a button. Mm. I don't, Suffer hangovers. Mm. In the morning, it's gone. Mm. Boink. Mm. Oh well, let's um, let's get back to, to, to the HB, yeah, yeah, and, H. and HB, and and you you acclimatised to the heat, and yep. uh, HB's all right. Let's go climbing together. Where yep. do you go? And he took me for a joyride in the Tirana HB five thirteen. How we got round at some of those corners just defies all the laws of physics. But he lowered the suspension. He had wide, super grippy tyres and knew the road like the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. What I always thought he didn't know was when the next kangaroo's going to j- jump out. We took this one bend 
and it was just like it was over in a flash. He's taken me to the Grampians. He's done two new routes recently. One on the way to Hollow Mountain called the Hamster Roof. Little overhang thing. Only a short route. Obvious lie. I think it, it one runner in it, maybe two. Yeah. And he said, it's a rock five. Curve side left. Oh, I can see where it goes. So, you know, I had, I had beta. This is before beta was even involved. But he handed me the rock five. He curved face left. On site flash. Beautiful. He goes, oh, that was, that was impressive. Oh, good route, H. He said, right, I got one for you. Let's go to Taipan. Oh, I've been waiting for this, waiting for this. First sight of Taipan Wall. We're coming over from Hollow Mountain where you see it down that gully. Yeah. Through that gully. Yeah, through the gully. that way. And I was like, I couldn't, get out of the way. I couldn't wait to get over there. And he'd recently put up a route, Sirocco. Mm. I think he called it. I yep. think. And um, 26 again. And he goes, hmm. Hmm. And Steve Monks, who I knew from Bristol years earlier, was at the bottom building on an adjacent route. And he, Monks, he goes, Whoa, you just flashed Hamster Roof, Welder. You won't flash this. I'll bet you don't. Up it like a rat up a pipe, but very lucky. Yeah. Because the crux is a dyno, which I can dyno my whole body length, actually, yeah. which is ridiculous. But you're dynoing for this sort of... Like a rail? Thing. Yeah, it's like a, a ledge, but you don't know where the good bit is. And loads of people have tried, so there's slap marks, there's chalk marks all the way along it, and I just leapt, and I overleapt so that it, in the millisecond I could bring my hand down and go like that before I shot past it. Yeah, so you could work out where it was mid-air. Mid-air. And, you know, this is, we're talking microseconds here. Yeah. And I just launched, like, boom. Stuck it. Stuck it. It's a pass after that. <laughs> I looked down at Monks, he goes, <laughs> what do you make of that, Steve? <laughs> he spent three days trying it. <laughs> <laughs> so they throw you on any other stuff? Uh, I think Serpentine was next. Yeah. Um, Did you get the second ascent of that? No, third. Third. Jeff Wiegand, 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 did the second ascent. But yeah, I did that with uh, one fall. And then went through to the top without falling off. I went back the next day, my gear was in place. It, it wasn't, you know, the perfect descent. Mm. But again, in in the day, 
What a route. What a route. By far the best climb. Certainly the top half. The lower half I wasn't a big fan on. Mm. But the top half. And what a position. But it always avoided the main turret. And I had my eye on that for three years. Nobody bothered. Yeah. So my last trip, I came back and did that. I called it Rage, which was two grades harder than Serpentine. Yeah. Just went. Whew. And then it got downgraded three grades, which sucks. 31 <laughs> down to 29. <laughs> and so Serpentine, you know, 31. Now it's 30, now it's 29. You know, this grade compression, it's... Yeah. I don't know if it's just an ego trip by people. But at the time, Jerry always used to maintain this. He said things are only hard in the context of when they were done. We can have things done 10 years later that are 10 levels ahead. But don't put the squeeze on that. Mm. That was the hardest route in the world at the time. That's his revelations. Mm. Antoine soloed it, you know. Mm. I mean, again, it's not much higher than this building. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. What was it like? What was it like living in a raps and the scene there? And It was luxury for me because I'd met a wonderful old chap called um, Neil Douglas, I think his name was. He was a local elderly chap, artist, mm. painter. And he owned a caravan that you could sleep, I suppose, seven people in. He very kindly offered me use of the caravan, as long as I could get it towed out there, and the rent was as much cups of tea as he wanted whenever he came round, which was regularly, and it was about 14 cups of tea. So, he, you know, it didn't come free. Yeah. But, yeah, I slept in this caravan with gas yeah. lighting, yeah, gas cooker, gas fridge, double bed, different friends of the opposite gender on occasion. And just go climbing. And climb all day and drink all evening. The namesake of your book. Yes, indeed. The pumps in the gym. Of my life, yes. That's a route that you dedicated a lot of, of energy and time to, but what attracted you to that route? It was hard. It had only ever had two ascents, Wolfie, obviously, and Stefan Glovach. But it never been red pointed. So they had both done it in yo-yo style. Yeah. Okay. And now there's conjecture as to whether they lowered to the ground or there's a there's a rest below the crux. Okay. And you fall off the crux all day. Yeah. Get down today. You put a knee bar in. Take your hands off. Yeah. Okay. And you don't have to do, you know, what's a pretty stiff mm. section to get back up. Yeah. I mean, w Wolfie, climbed with him a few times and 
nicest man on the planet. One of the saddest losses to humanity, not just to climbing. Lovely, lovely guy. Uh, but in terms of his climbing, he was a freak of nature. He could pull on things that other people couldn't with their feet on. He was just amazing and good, great technique. And for he was a short statured fella, and very muscular in the upper body. Mm. You would think that that's incongruous. It's like we were talking earlier, perhaps before we were recording, about a couple of bodybuilding friends. Mm. Wolfie looked like he was a bodybuilder. Um, yet you know, doing curls and things. He just had the arms. But he had the finger strengths, the technique, the skills. He had all the requisites. But again, the ethics of the day in 1985 were yo-yo. And if there was a place where you could take your hands off for a moment, that counted. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying they did that. I don't know. I wasn't there. On my sixth day, I got... Two thirds of the way up the head wall. After the crux? Yeah, 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 through the crux. And my left foot popped, which shock loaded two middle fingers on my right hand, and there was this awful crack. The sound of a pulley going. And as I was falling through the air, I was going, ow. And I'd, I'd ripped two tendons, just because my foot went. Yeah. I was like from here to there, to the belay. First red point. And then after that, well, I didn't go back on it, that trip. I flew back to the UK, worked for three months, came back, not climbing fit, loads of money, uh, fingers still a bit sore. Second day back on, re-familiarising. Again. Rocking onto the crux hold. Sheared it off. And then it just, it just kept breaking and breaking and breaking. I mean, there's photos in there before and after. And you can clearly see it's gone from that did a three-finger gravelly sloper. Every time I got through the crux and put my foot on to rock over, mm. you'd pop a, a little bit more. You know, remember boxer matches? Yeah. You know, the, the red tip? Yeah. It'd be like that much would break Just off. chip off, little bits Just at a time. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. And... So, yeah, 44 days, which sounds ridiculous. You know, a day might be one quick try. Yeah. You know, 15 minutes. It's not a day, mm-hmm. um, but 44 different occasions. And, um, yeah, after the 28th, when the thing really did just give up the ghost, I rebuilt 
it back to what I thought was original. Yeah. With Zika. Yeah. And, of course, you know, oh, it's much bigger, it's better than it, than it ever was. and Yeah. But the root is there and has now had 40 cents. It was not a root for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always say, oh, well, Adam Ondra or somebody would do it. Why have something that's, you know, nine C plus, ten B plus, mm. that gets one ascent in its life? Mm. So, you know, I'd invested 28 days in it and two flights. Mm-hmm. And I was buggered if I was going to, because I knew my climbing was coming to an end. And I wanted to go out with that. So I came back a third time. The sicker was there all the time. Mm. Didn't hear a peep. Dozens of people trying it, top ropes. Still, nobody did it. So it was still there for the taking, the red point. And uh, I was in my garage with um, Jerry and Ben and Mark Leach. And Jerry goes rather cockily, cocky. Do I have to come down there and show you how to do it? I know how to do it. I just can't do it. Yet. Two weeks later, Jerry, I get a phone call via the post office from Jerry. Can you pick me up at the airport? Yeah, of course. I'm on a rest day and I'm thinking, don't rest, don't rest, go on, go on. You've got to make the first red point because the minute he gets here, he'll just go, what's all the fuss about? And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I had, I think, four or six maybe more days of two or three tries on it. Mm. Picked Jerry and Sean Miles up from the airport. They came out and did a couple of routes. Mm. And Jerry said, right. I said, yes, please. Can, can you give me two more days, please, Jerry? The conditions were perfect. It, it cooled down. There was a breeze. I mean, you know, we've been climbing since we were 16. We're now 28, 29. I said, no, no, that, that's unfair of me. If you feel ready. And so I go for your life. Went up, fell off, went to the top, went back next morning, fired it. And then this guy Marco did. And then Sean Miles did. And they left the wraps with my girlfriend to drive to Sydney and left me at the bottom of the gravel where the phone box is on the road. Did a little Telstra phone box? Yeah. Yeah. I stood there and just the tears welled up. There's Lindy, my girlfriend, giving Jerry and Sean a lift up to Sydney. They'd flown in. Punks, punks, a couple other things. See you, Andy. See ya.
I think I did it two days later. No, the next day, that's right, I was so upset. I went and camped on my own up in the scrub. Top of Central Gully. Took a few long necks. Wrote myself off. Came back down in the morning. Mine just went. Did it. It was um, a mental thing. I just kept falling off the same place. Apart from the hole breaking and all that. Yeah. I just kept falling off. You know, my warm-up would be just about my best attempt of the day. Yeah. I knew I'd... That's why I, I... In a way, if I got fit and grew my skin back, I think I could do that route again now at my age. Yeah. You know, it might take a week or two. Um, sticky boots. Yeah. Good rubber. Yeah. So you finished that route and famously uh, that was it for you. You just walked away from from climbing. Yeah. That was it. That I'm done. Right. Finish. How did you How did you feel when you clipped the the top on the on the route? What was the Relieved. emotion? Relieved. Thank you, God. There was no discernible sense of satisfaction or accomplishment or achievement. To be quite honest, I felt embarrassed because three others had come in and within five days had gone point, point, point. Mm. First red point, second red point, third red point. Mm. And this is my third trip, my 44th day. You know, a day being half a dry to three dries. Over three years and probably, well, definitely thousands of dollars in flights. Mm. Um, so it was with much relief. And when I lowered down, just untied. Thank Robbie LeBreton. Held my ropes and shouted encouragement. Good lad. Good climber too, Rob. Went back to my caravan, threw everything out on the dirt. That was it. When you look back on climbing, kind of the legacy that you've, you've left there with climbing, what kind of emotions does that stir up with you? How do, how do you feel about it? How did it get away with that? <laughs> <laughs> I never did it free. What do you mean? No, no, seriously. Um... I, I look back with no regrets, with a degree of pride in being ethical and um, also with an awful, awful lot of fortune for being right time, right place. I was thinking about this just the other day actually just mentally running through some of the first ascents and first free ascents I did arch enemies in Dovedale just ridiculous why Ron Fawcett hadn't done it first 
defies any logic. Thorman's Moth, arguably the best 8A in the peak, one of the best in Britain. Okay, it's only dry once in a blue moon, but still when it is. Um, Hollow Man, lauded as by far the finest route on North Stack. Skinhead Moonstomp, that even got mentioned just two weeks ago on UKC. Britain's best D6s. Skinhead. It's in there. You know, they, they're, they're things that leave their mark. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very, very happy about those. I mean, there's loads of other little things as well. But um, Knocking. Hollow Man. Chimes of Freedom. Whore of Babylon, which got laughed down. Unjustly, in my view. Here in Australia, you've got Natty Dread, Rage. Natty Dread, Rage, uh, Sport Crack. That's a laugh. Probably barred now. Five bolts in a perfect Friend 2 crack. <laughs> Actually soldered it on Friends to put the bolts in, just to make a point. Contentious. Yes, I was non compass mentis in Natimuk for a few weeks there. But then HB went out and did it. Simon Wentz did it. Pete Croft did it. They all go, that is the most fun I've had in ages. Uh, did some other things, I think. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it called? Um, run up the groove. Uh, flipping World Party. World Party. Yeah. A very popular route. Have you done that? I haven't done it, oh, but it's popular. Top pitch mm. is out there. It's like out there. And it it's sportingly bolted. Because I thought, I know there's going to be a queue of people after me. Let's give them something to go for. And I put... I deliberately put the bolts, you know, like 10 inches higher. Even with my reach, I deliberately put them out of reach. Just to spice it up a bit. Because it's, you know, for those who can't see, I'm holding my hand at 45 degrees. It, it's very steep. If you take a lob, it's just like boing into thin air. But it makes you think. And you're going to take a 30-footer. Yeah. You know, if it had been like, move, clip, move, clip, it just would have been boring. Because it wasn't hard enough, you see. It, it's not hard. It's just out there. So how to make it a bit more, how to spice it up or space the bolts. Father Oblivion, Simon's. I wrapped that, put a bolt in it, I think. Oh no, way too easy. I don't want to be named for putting the easiest route on Taipan. I said, Sai, come on, up you go, son. He spent days on it, but did it. And I was still desperately hungover, I couldn't even follow it. I failed to top rope it. Having, you know, just. 
waltzed up it with a Juma. So that, that's a good one. Um, other than that... Oh, there's probably a few I might have forgotten about. But again, you know, time and place. Very fortunate. You know, taking all the bands and talk of widespread bands aside, you can't now walk up to Taipan where it's only got eight routes. It's probably got 28 routes on it now. When I was there, I, I repeated all, all the routes on the cliff and then started plucking lines. So to come from scrappy limestone quarries like Stony Middleton in the Peak District to Taipan Wall, and H, what's that crack? Not been done. What's that a wreck? Well, maybe one day. But surely, that ramp. No. These are lines that ye. You know, if you put them in a, in a raffle... And they're held, anyone around the world, you get hundreds of thousands of dollars towards a conservation fund. You know, we're, we're raffling off this new route. <laughs> but no, it... Um, I knew 18 months before I finally... Dragged me little scrawny ass up punks that heart wasn't in it. Yeah. In it. So the last trip, the last trip, the frustration and sadness was mitigated in that I did Daniel or Tiger, which I'd failed on previously. First ascent of rage, and two days later punks. So you know those those are three things very dear to me. In that sense, they they mean nothing now mm. in my life. But you know to be able to put the cap on. I don't like using the word career. But I can't think of an alternative. Call it a career. I suppose it was a career. I was semi-pro. But to cap it off with those three things, and when I look back to the first V-diff chimney I top-roped with my school teacher, from there to there, in North Wales, Australia, Easiest climb in the country, you know, people walk down it. Hardest climb in the Southern Hemisphere, pretty much, at the time. I thought, yeah. Come a long way, son. Bye. Anyone buy some boots? You know, boxes of boots, <laughs> unwrapped, ropes. So, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was a wild ride.
That's it, Australia. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Andy for sharing his stories with us for the podcast. If you want to read more about Andy and his climbing life, you can pick up his book, Punk in the Gym, uh, published by Vertebrate Publishing. Also, head over to thelayback.com where I've shared a range of other interviews with Andy as well as some climbing photos from his personal collection. To stay up to date with the podcast, head over and like us on Facebook and Instagram. Maybe give us a bit of a review on iTunes and, you know, send me a note if uh, you like what you're hearing or if you've got some suggestions for podcast topics or people that you might want to hear interviewed. To take us out, here's a clip of Andy being interviewed for Channel 9 back in the 90s in Arapiles. For Englishman Pollitt is a professional rock climber and every summer he comes here to Mount Arapiles in Western Victoria to become king of a great natural castle, high above and far away from the dirty rascals of suburbia. This whole area is some of the best rock climbing in the world for sure. It's recognised as that right there around the globe you know all the climbers would love to come to australia and the, the climate and the people are friendly and the rock is just perfect absolutely perfect for climbing okay, what makes a perfect rock what characteristics oh, the quality it's very very hard rough rock you don't get lots of bits breaking off it and it's clean and it's nice to feel and it's nice to move over it when you're climbing and some of the features the big red walls you get out here things we just don't have in europe yeah, when I'm not climbing over at the rock there, I like to come out here and practice the didgeridoo, as we are in Australia. Andy Pollitt plays a piece of plastic downpipe better than most. Although the fellow who sold him his didgeridoo may be having a laugh, you can't help feeling this man laughs loud and long every day of his life.